I want to begin today by reading three verses in the Bible. These verses are some of the final words Jesus spoke before he ascended back to heaven following his resurrection from the dead. It's known as the Great Commission. Jesus commissions his disciples, which would include many of us, with some very specific and significant instructions. I want us to read it together from the screen. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Very good. The one imperative command in these verses is make disciples. How do we do that? We go, we baptize, and we teach. And what's great is the spiritual presence of Jesus is with us as we do this. Now, I want to show you a picture of what making disciples looks like. There's a phrase that says a picture is worth a thousand words, right? Well, this picture I'm about to show you communicates a lot. It's the personification of what it looks like to multiply discipling. Here it is. I know this can be maybe somewhat difficult to see, but all of these long and short lines, they extend to names of people. Here, here's a zoomed-in look. It's a little blurry, but can you see the name Akachi? You see that? Akachi right there in the middle? Akachi is a man from East Africa who wanted to obey Jesus and begin making disciples. So he began sharing with Abaran right here in his household. Through his conversations with Akachi, Abaran was transformed by Jesus. And he began to share with Kishan right here in Kishan's household. Kishan met Jesus. And began to share with Simon, who began to share with Isabel, who began to share with Kale, who began to share with Amara, and on and on it goes, all the way to Lahahana, if I'm pronouncing that right. If we zoom back out, here it is, all the way from Akachi, Abaran, all the way up here to Lahahana. That right there is 13 generations. 13. And it all started with. Akachi, obeying Jesus, and beginning to make disciples who would make more disciples. How incredible is that? One ordinary follower of Jesus decided to obey the commission of Jesus to make disciples, and look what happened. I want to be like Akachi, don't you? I want to obey Jesus and make disciples like this, don't you? What's stopping us? In, in a recent Barna study, some startling statistics were revealed. Just 28% of Christians are actively involved in a discipling community, meaning they were being discipled and discipling others. That's a discipleship community. Being discipled and discipling others, 28%. Another 28% surveyed are being discipled but not discipling others. Only 5% are discipling others. And a whopping 39% of Christians are not involved in discipling at all. Now, in the same survey, 
the barriers to making disciples were identified. 37% felt unqualified or ill-equipped. 24% said that no one had ever suggested it or asked them. And 22% said they had just never thought about discipling others. Another question asked why they were not in a discipling community. The top answer, 38% said they had just never thought about it. Now, this right here is really what sticks out to me in this study. 22% of Christians have never thought about discipling others, and 38% have never thought about being in a discipling community. In other words, it's never crossed their minds. Now, I know this is not true here at OCC, right? We are all super engaged in discipling. We think about it constantly. The mission of Jesus consumes us 24-7. But just in case there are some who have never really thought about being discipled or discipling others, I want to get this on your radar today. I mean, how startling is it to think that our one job, you've got one job, right? I've got one job. Our one job is to make disciples as Jesus commissioned us, and yet for many Christians, we don't even give it a thought. Something has to change. Here at OCC, we want disciples like Akachi to be the norm. We want to be imitators of Jesus, the master disciple maker. We want more spiritual conversations happening in our families, workplaces, and neighborhoods. We want disciples who consistently take next steps closer to Jesus. We want people baptizing their family members and friends. We want stories of life change being told and celebrated regularly. We want urgency. We want to want it more than anything else in life. I want you to listen to the Apostle Paul and his passion and his purpose. He writes this. He says, He is the one we proclaim. That's Jesus. Admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may what? Present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, Paul says, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Wow. May we, like Paul, have the same passion and purpose to multiply. But here, here's the million-dollar question. The million-dollar question is, how do we do that? How do we as a church take our next step toward making and multiplying disciples? Well, that's a big question. Lots could be said. But as we talked about last Sunday, it starts with extraordinary prayer. We know that in disciple-making movements around the world, the people involved pray a lot. Here's some characteristics of prayer in those movements. Many Christians pray and fast every week at least two meals in one day. Many new Christians gather regularly for all-night or six-hour prayer vigils. Personal disciplines of early morning prayer, one hour to two or three hours of prayer is not uncommon. Family devotions centered on discovering the Bible and praying together are common. In his book, Extreme Prayer, Greg Pruitt writes this. He says, many of us would rather work to get something done than pray. I've come to see prayer as the work. 
He goes on to say, let's not pray about our strategies. Let's make prayer the strategy. So how do we make and multiply disciples? We pray. And we pray some more. And not just occasional popcorn, Hail Mary kinds of prayers, but united and persevering prayers together as a church family. But then, number one there on your message notes, we must also understand what discipling is. Do we understand what discipling is? Well, in a nutshell, it's helping people become more and more like Jesus, right? Back in the first century world of Jesus, it is said that disciples stuck so close to their rabbi or teacher that they became covered with the dust kicked up by his sandals. Your personal life took second place to that of the rabbi. After all, it was your goal to be just like the rabbi. And it was the rabbi's goal for you to become just like him. And the same principle applies today. Our goal is to be just like Jesus, to be covered in the dust of our teacher and Lord, and then to help others become just like him as well. That's discipling. But let me point out a few other things. First there on your outline, discipling, it's the whole thing. It's the whole enchilada, right? Let, let, me, let me try to illustrate this up here on the whiteboard. We're going to do some, some more chalk talk today. The cross here represents the point in time on this timeline when someone puts their faith in Christ and is baptized. Okay? Typically, we say anything before the cross is called evangelism. This is where we share the good news about Jesus with people to try to help lead them to the cross and to accept Jesus. What happens on this side of the cross, we typically call discipleship. And there's nothing wrong with this understanding. This is absolutely right and true. But, <laughs> along with that, we must understand, according to the Great Commission in Matthew 28, being a disciple and making disciples includes the whole process. Making disciples isn't just discipleship on this side, and it's not just evangelism on this side. It's the whole thing. It's the, it's the entire process. Now, I see a couple tendencies in the church. See if you can maybe resonate with these. One is much of our focus sometimes is getting people baptized, and not enough attention is given to helping new believers obey Jesus. Two weeks ago at our 120th anniversary celebration, we unveiled a banner in the back hallway that connects the, the north and south lobbies. The banner has nearly 2,800 names on it. Names of people who have been baptized over the last 120 years as a part of our ministry. Isn't that cool? I mean, that is something to celebrate for sure. But here's the deal. This is what we've got to understand. The end goal is not baptism. So we, we celebrate this. This is awesome. 
But we've got to understand that's not the end goal. In fact, baptism is just the beginning. The end goal is full devotion, full obedience to Jesus. And then another tendency I see in the church is to make discipling knowledge-based. That it's all about Christian education. But it's interesting, Jesus says that we are to teach them to what? Obey, right? No doubt knowledge is involved, but it's, it's not primary. Gaining biblical knowledge will last a lifetime, but the pattern of obedience should be practiced from day one. All of us can be faithful to obey what we know. Whatever that, that is right now. And so it's important that we understand this and that discipling is the whole thing, the whole process. But then also, discipling is a team effort. It's a team effort. Very rarely does someone become a disciple from a single contact with the gospel or from just one person working with that person. It's a long process that involves many people. So, I'm going to draw up here. And I know my my drawing skills are just blowing you away right now. But these right here represent barriers. Before someone comes to Christ, over on this side, there are barriers for them to get to the cross. And then, after they accept Christ, there's also barriers that exist that prevent them from growing in their faith. And so, for example, over here, someone, there might be an intellectual barrier. Like, we're having a hard time getting our minds around the reality of a supernatural God. That's a real barrier. Or right here, another barrier might be a bad church experience. Maybe you're here today and you, you had a bad church experience in your past. That, that's, that's a real barrier. Okay. So, so what happens here? What happens is, all of us together, as disciples of Jesus, we've got to come together and help remove these barriers. This barrier on this side might be busyness, or this, this barrier might be just a lack of discipline to get into the Word of God. But along the way, it takes a bunch of different disciples like you and me to help remove those barriers. I might, for example, help someone remove maybe the intellectual barrier. You might come along and help someone remove the bad church experience barrier, and so on. But this is why it's so important that all of us represent Jesus well. Whether we realize it or not, we are either helping or hindering people along this discipling pathway. It's a team effort. But then also, it's more than just being in or out. Discipling is, is more than just being in or out. And I'm going to erase this right now so I can draw something else up here. 
I first learned this from a guy by the name of Dr. Curtis Sargent, and I thought it was extremely helpful. We need to balance something we're going to call bounded set thinking with centered set thinking. So bounded set thinking, if you draw a circle here, these X's represent people. So bounded set thinking says that you're either in the kingdom or not. And and that's true, right? I mean, there's no in between. You're either following Jesus or not. You're either in the kingdom of light or you're out in the kingdom of darkness. That's very true. But the impression that we get here with this image is that once you're in, the job's done. And, And that's not true. And so what we've got to do is we've got to supplement this. This is true. We've got to supplement this with centered set thinking. This is what center set thinking is. Beautiful, right? Yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. We got a bunch of arrows up here, right? We got a cross in the middle. These arrows up here have two characteristics. One is direction and the other is magnitude. Now, direction is pretty self-explanatory. The arrows here that are coming down and pointing to the center of the set, which in this case is the cross, these represent people in the kingdom. These other areas that are pointing out, away from the center of the set, these represent people who are outside the kingdom. Now, the other characteristic of these arrows is magnitude. Notice the different length of the arrows. Do you notice that? We got some long arrows, we got some short ones. All right. The longer the arrow, the greater the magnitude. Or in this illustration, the greater someone's love for God or not. And so this person right here, they are deeply in love with Jesus. This person right here, they are intensely opposed to Jesus. This person here, they're in the kingdom, but it looks like maybe they're a little lukewarm. Over here is someone not in the kingdom, but it's not like they're really opposed, right? And so on and on it goes. But I think this is very helpful when it comes to stewarding our ongoing relationships and knowing how we should interact with people. And so, for example, if I know all three of these people outside the kingdom that are pictured up here, where would it be wise for me to invest most of my time? As I look at this, I think it's this person right here. They're the least resistant, and hopefully they're open to the gospel. And as I interact with them, each interaction I have, hopefully that arrow is going to begin to turn, and eventually they're going to start following Jesus. Now, this person up here might not be so easy. This person down here, I I probably would invite to Christmas Eve here in a couple weeks. This person up here, they're not coming to Christmas Eve. They're probably not coming to any church activity. 
And so we're going to have to have a little different approach, like a lot of prayer and fasting, right? But here's something else I like about this centered set thinking, and it's this. The arrows, the lines, they can extend. This one right here can go off the board, up through the ceiling, basically indicating that we can always grow. See, there's never a point in time when you arrive as a follower of Jesus. There's always room for growth. And so what I want us to see with this is discipling is more than just being in or out of the kingdom. But it's about the process of helping someone turn to Jesus and then also grow in their faith. So as we continue to understand what discipling is, and we're all trying to understand that, right? Ultimately, number two there on your outline is we must become disciples worth following. Look at what the Apostle Paul said. He said this, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's a bold statement, isn't it? Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Can we honestly say that? Am I a disciple worth following because of the way I follow Jesus? Now, I want to make something clear here. You do not have to be a paid professional to do this. You do not have to have a seminary degree. You do not have to hold a leadership position in the church. Actually, it might be better if you're, if you're not. This is for everyone. You can be faithful to obey what you know now and lead others to follow Jesus no matter where you're at. Recently, I was, I was part of a discipling training, and one of the principles in that training was something called duckling discipleship. I really liked it. Here, here's, here, here's, here's what it is. Have you ever seen a line of ducklings like this? All right, following the mother duck. The mother duck leads. The little ducks follow. But there's something I want us to notice here. Each little duckling is a follower, yes, but at the same time, each little duckling is a leader because it's leading the duckling that's walking right behind it. So each duckling is both a follower and a leader. Now, for our purposes, the mother duck is Jesus, right? I mean, he, he's the one we ultimately follow, but we're also following the disciple in front of us, and we're leading the disciple behind us. To be the leader, you don't have to know everything, you just have to be one step ahead, right? You can lead and disciple others right where you are today. But are you a disciple worth following? We must understand what discipling is, and we must become, and all of us are a work in progress, right? But we must become disciples worth following. Over the next three years, our vision as a church is to multiply discipling. To live what it means to be a disciple. To equip every believer to follow Jesus and lead others to become a discipling community. 
So as you think about the things that, that we've talked about today, what would you say is your next step when it comes to engaging in a lifestyle of discipling? I mean, you, you may have never thought about this, but if you follow Jesus, you need to. This demands and deserves careful thought and intentional action. And so, so let me, let me just kind of land the plane here with some quick takeaways for you to consider. First, bottom line, obey Jesus. Obey Jesus. He has commanded every disciple to make disciples. And so if you are a disciple of Jesus, you are to obey and be a disciple maker. It's that simple, even though it's not easy, right? You may want to write this down and repeat it to yourself this week. I am a disciple maker. Can we say that together? I am a disciple maker. One more time. I am a disciple maker. That is who you are. That is who I am. And we are in this together. And Jesus is with us. Let's trust and obey. And then let's pray. We've already talked about prayer, but we, we must keep talking about it. We must never forget it. We need to pray for God to lead us to someone to disciple. If you're not already discipling someone already, it might be a son or daughter. It might be a coworker. It might be a friend. Ask God to show you where he is at work in someone's life, and then you go and you join him there. Next, be discipled. Be discipled yourself. You cannot give what you do not have, right? So we need to be constantly learning and growing ourselves. Maybe that means getting connected to an ABF class or a small group. These are great ways to be discipled in community with others. Back at our next step area today, in the back of this room, we have a few resources related to discipling. There, there's a booklet called Mentoring, and a couple others on accountability and going. Be sure to check those out. Another great resource is a book called Multiply by Francis Chan. I'm currently going through this with a guy in our church. It is excellent. And here's the cool thing. You can download it for free at multiplymovement.com. Multiplymovement.com. Here's what Chan writes. Jesus commanded you to make disciples. He has provided and will continue to provide you with everything you need to accomplish the task. Jesus commands you to look at the people around you and start making them disciples. And so, finally, just do it. Just do it. Start discipling. Multiply. Be the next Akachi. What's stopping you? Get a vision for what God could do through you and this church if we would just do it and obey Jesus. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this opportunity and great privilege that we have to represent you in this world. To be able to be on mission with you. To help others come to know what we know. To experience what we've experienced. 
God, lay it on our heart. Give us a burden to pour into others. And God, help us to be humble enough to allow someone to pour into us. God, that we might be discipled for the purpose of discipling others. God, I pray for a disciple-making movement. I pray for multiplication to happen right here in this church and that it would spread across this town and the surrounding areas and Wayne County and on and on and on. God, help us to obey and to trust you as we take our next step now. In Jesus' name, amen.